Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Wendy, I'm excited today because we're bringing on a man after my own heart. Ooh, that sounds fun. That's right. Brian Cano, who's been in The Haunted Collector, as well as he's part of Paranormal Caught on Camera uh, on the (laughs) Travel Channel that you can see uh, every Thursday. He's been on Celebrity Ghost Stories. He even was an extra in the Ghostbusters reboot. What? That's awesome. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, Brian. Oh, Um, come on. But the reason he's a man after my own heart is because he started in public access cable television. Aww. And we're going to talk about that in our interview coming up with Brian Cano from The Haunted Collector and Paranormal Caught on Camera in a few minutes. But before we get there, we want you guys to check out some cool stuff we're doing on our blog. What are we doing on our blog? We are doing the A to Z Challenge, Mike. And we're joining mm. hundreds of other bloggers this month of April to blog about a different topic each day, beginning with the letter A, ending with the letter Z. And it's every day of the month except on the Sundays. That's right. And so we're being helped out by uh, one of our awesome friends, author Chuck Martin, C.E. Martin. He's been blogging a bunch, contributing to the uh, See You on the Other Side blog. I've been putting up some links to our favorite episodes like Demons and Curses. Wendy told her tooth fairy story this week. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we've also got Scott Marcus from whatsyourghoststory.com and Allison Jordan from milwaukeeghosts.com joining in the fun as well. So it's a whole collaborative effort here. So make sure you check out othersidepodcast.com slash blog. We're going to have a new blog post every day on a paranormal topic uh, that starts with a letter related. And so this is the second week of it because it's the second week of April. So we're getting into G and H and <laughs> Good golly. And Holy. <laughs> That's right. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you check that out, othersidepodcast.com slash blog. You know, it, it was fun to talk to Brian Cano, and he's a really interesting guy, and he's got a very cool philosophy on paranormal investigation. But I think the, the first time a lot of people saw him in action was The Haunted Collector. Oh, yeah. And uh, The Haunted Collector was starring uh, John Zaffis, and he is the nephew of the controversial Ed and Lorraine Warren from The Conjuring fame. Right. And so John's been a paranormal investigator for a long time. Really interesting guy. Super nice guy. And uh, the, the first time we met him in person was at the, the Michigan Paranormal the parano- in there. Yeah. And uh, we talked his ear off on the, the Thursday <laughs> poor night, guy. I believe. We were so wound up. We were yeah. so excited. Because, you know, everybody else flies in, but we drive the eight hours to Upper Michigan. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, the edge of Canada. It's really, it's, it's on the Canadian border on uh, Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah, we sprung out of the van like a <laughs> jack-in-the-box. So to- and we start drinking, start talking, and it's really fun, but it, it can be a little much. Um, and so, <laughs> like, so you know, the first night we talked to John, and he's very cool. And then the second night, uh, you know, see him, he's coming down the escalator, and, like, he can see us coming. And we're like, John! And the look in his eyes, like... Oh, oh no, <laughs> not again. Not these guys. Right, it was just, just this great look. So we're like, you know what? We're going to let him get on to whatever he's doing because you can <laughs> see like, ah, I can see we're a touch much. Um, anyway, but Brian's going to be at the convention this year in Michigan. And so we'll see him there in person. And I'm looking forward to that. And anyway, Brian Cano, star of shows like The Haunted Collector. Uh, he's been on Celebrity Ghost Stories, which I used to like watching. And then he started off in public access television. Him and his buddy, they used to do urban exploration around areas in New York City that were abandoned. They'd take their video cameras in there and uh, they had a show called Cool. Had a show called Scared. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. And we're going to talk about uh, his start in public access all the way to getting to Haunted Collector and Paranormal Caught on Camera and everything like that in our interview with Brian Cano. Here it is. Excited to welcome Brian Cano to the show today, parapsychologist, star of shows like Haunted Collector, uh, Ghost Investigator, coming straight to us 
Are you still in Staten Island or are you somewhere else in New York City? I am still in Staten Island. It's it's my home. It's my home base. And no matter where I go, no matter what part of the world I've traveled to or are coming from, it's always good to come back to Staten Island. Sure. No, I, I completely understand. I'm I'm about 75 miles from my home too. A lot of times, like sometimes you want to you get the hell out or get away from home. And sometimes things draw you back. And with Wisconsin, to me, it's the weirdness. The fact is there's, there's always something weird going on here that I love. And speaking of Staten Island, we had Josh Zayman on the show to talk about Cropsy uh, not too long ago. And it, and it was that a urban legend that you grew up with at all? Ironically, when it comes to the documentary Cropsy, uh, interestingly enough, on that documentary, one of the first interviews you see when it starts uh, is my friend Greg Cusick. He was part of our paranormal group Scared. Now, in the beginning, back in 2002, we did a cable access show here on Staten Island called Scared on Staten Island. And they tapped both Chris and Greg from our group to do interviews for that. So we have a little bit of a, a crossover there. But Cropsy, personally for me, was not uh, not an, an, an issue, not something that was in my mind at the time that it occurred we did hear about young girls getting kidnapped we heard about some horrible things but there was never a a moniker attached to it that i was aware of okay so well that gets to the next question what got you into the weird thing you know like we all have paranormal origin stories or the, the you know to be a professional weirdo who's interested in this stuff and loves it and lives it like you do and and I do and uh, a lot of our friends it's something sometimes you're like oh I gotta explain this to people or it's kind of you know it's like don't worry everybody it's not that weird so it's usually some kind of event or seeing something or some experience that kind of pushes you into this world and, and helps you solidify a place in it. Do, do you have any particular experiences like that that did it for you? For most, that's the case. But for me, it was conscious choice. When I was young, I was fascinated by legends and urban myths and ghost stories. And one of my favorite shows growing up was In Search Of oh, with yeah. Leonard Nimoy. And ironically enough, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i on a show now, Paranormal Caught on Camera, that mm -hmm. I liken to In Search Of. It's a different format, but it's still a show that introduces the audience to different concepts, to different areas of the paranormal. And back when I was a kid, I, you know, you, when you're a child, you believe in everything. There's no reason not to. And I was that kid who was too afraid to do the Bloody Mary challenge in the mirror, just in case. <laughs> wouldn't do it. I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't even do it today. But as I grew up and got older, as it often happens, we get mired in society, in everyday life, the routine. And skepticism grows. You kind of get beaten down by your job, paying taxes, the commute. And for a long time, I was a hardcore skeptic. It was my reintroduction to the paranormal that opened me back up. And I had mentioned our cable access show, Scared on Staten Island. Mm -hmm. I was the skeptic on that show. That was my title. I was the person who was going to look at these myths, these legends that we were investigating and I was going to find the logical explanation, the rational explanation for what could be causing these, these hauntings or these reportings of hauntings. And as time went on, we did more cases. I researched, I read, I met people, I got mentored. It wasn't one event, one example. It was a lot of little ones. And over time, I explained it to people like this. Every experience you have in the paranormal is akin to a grain of sand. You look at it, it doesn't seem like much inconsequential. You drop it at your feet. As enough time goes by, you look down and you find yourself standing on a beach. And you have to consider what that means. What does that mean to you? What does that mean about the world we live in and the universe and the afterlife? And i that's pretty much what happened to me. I found myself standing on a beach one day and thinking, wow, how did I get here and how my perspective has changed? So I'm no longer a skeptic. 
I consider myself to be a skeptical believer. And in that, I know the phenomenon exists. I've, I've experienced it. I've witnessed it. It's the people who report it that I'm skeptical of. Sure. Is there any particular type of phenomenon? You know, it could be anything from EVPs to orbs to even, uh, you know, UFOs or something even a little, you know, different than than just the standard ghost hunting. That when you first came in, you were like, you know what? I mean, it's just starting as a skeptic. You were like, okay, well, maybe ghosts or maybe aliens or maybe this. But let me tell you what, fairies. Forget about it. Is is there any particular aspect of the paranormal that you started off like, there is no way that this crap is real. And then you had an experience or saw a few things that you said, all right, here's a perspective I didn't realize before. There's something to it? Probably. I can't think off the top of my head which specific um, category that I, I, I disbelieved in, but because I was a skeptic, I pretty much disbelieved in all of them. I said, you know what? It's all in your mind. There's a good explanation for this. You want to believe. It's for those people who will not let go of Santa Claus. And But guess what, guys? Newsflash. The real world's out here, and it's completely different. And I was very closed off. I was very closed-minded at the time. And it was summed up really well on an investigation I went to in upstate New York. And we went to a place as we were loading in a caretaker of the place was thrilled that we were there and took about 45 minutes regaling me with all the tales of all the ghosts in this place and all the personalities and all the stuff that's happening. And, Oh, I can't, I can't wait to see what you guys get and compare it to our findings. It's going to be so amazing. Oh, it's good to have like-minded people here. And I said, well, why is that? Why do you say it like that? She goes, Oh, well, just last month, we had a convention in the next town over, a bunch of UFO people. Now, those are weird people. <laughs> and I'm thinking, lady, you just spent 45 minutes telling me how the ghosts talk to you, and they're your friends, and and so on and so forth. And at that moment, it made me realize that if you believe in one area of the paranormal, you have to be open to all of them. Because no matter, it's, it's, it's not something you can pick and choose that this is real and this is not. None of it has been corroborated to the point where we can all agree. So that being said, it's good to keep an open mind. Absolutely. You know, when you were growing up, you were talking about how you were into mysteries and ghost stories and, and everything. And I'm there with you 100%. I was the kid. Um, I, my sister and I both, actually, we were the kids that would go to the library and we would take out every single book on ghosts or Bigfoot and UFOs. And we, we read the whole thing by the time, you know, our small town library, you know, but a couple of years in. Did you have, you know, support from your family? Like when you decided to, okay, we're going to like a cable access show that's a lot of time and cable access of course is unpaid and things like that and you're you're putting probably hours of your life into it every single week getting onto it so before you had the kind of success where you you know you moved from uh you know cable access to then cable television networks was your family like this is really awesome what you're doing or that were they like hey uh when are you gonna use that tv degree or whatever <laughs> my parents are very supportive of pretty much anything I do. They're creative people themselves. So any venture that I've really gone into has in some way, shape, or form been a creative one. So creating a cable access show is doing, it's editing, it's researching. There's a lot that goes into it. And they've always been very supportive of the work and even if they don't understand it or don't necessarily believe the concept behind it, they believe in me. And that's been, it's been very refreshing to tell you the truth. Cause uh, this is a topic that you can't really talk to uh, with everybody about because beliefs have a way of separating people. And I've been to, to family gatherings. Uh, I can think of one Thanksgiving where I went to a cousin's house that I hadn't seen in maybe 20 years and my parents had apprised them of what I'd been doing. And I had just recently returned from Australia. 
the paranormal has given me the opportunity to travel the world to share my experiences and uh, everything I've been through with people on multiple continents. And yet here I am. Right. And see, you figure everybody would be like, that's awesome. Let's hear about the trip. No. Like, are, do, Austra- you know, do Australian ghosts have, uh, uh, are they marsupials or what? You would think that, but this extended family that I hadn't seen for 20 years come at me with, oh, well, how's that ghost thing going? I'm like, that ghost thing. <laughs> I just traveled the world. What have you been doing? Right. No, that, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, it's awesome that your family, you know, your parents and stuff like that and your immediate family supports you because I think that, you know, that scares a lot of people from getting into this field and exploring it more than they do because they're just, you know, they're a little bit worried. So uh, message to all the parents out there, tell your kids it's okay to be weird because it can lead to really fun places in their lives, you know, especially in Brian's case, they're like, we're, like we're talking about. Well, I'll tell you, after Haunted Collector first started airing, my father forbid my mother to buy anything at yard sales anymore. He's like, nope, nope. You're going to bring something haunted home. Don't do it. Nope. Right. We don't need any attachments. (laughs) Exactly. But talking about that though. So, I mean, it it was a, you know, about probably 10 years, right? Between when you were, you guys started off the scared TV show and, you know, when you were doing it yourself and your own crews and, you know, probably hauling the cameras and in the early 2000s, probably VHSC or something like that, non-HD and everything, as compared to, you know, a cable crew and everything like that to work with you. But how do you think some of the paranormal investigation equipment has changed? At Haunted Collector, you were like the tech guy, did a lot of the tech stuff. And so how has some of the, you know, the world of paranormal investigation changed after the advent of ghost hunters and things like that from when you guys were doing your first show in the early 2000s? Well, see, we're talking about two separate things at this point. There's producing a show and there's investigating the paranormal. And yes, there have been advances in everything across the board. So in 2002, I'm, I'm usually very humble about this, but I'm, I'm going to start taking more credit these days. <laughs> 2002 was two years before Ghost Hunters. There was no Ghost Adventures. There was no real paranormal programming on TV outside of, right. of Halloween. And once it was done, it was you wouldn't see it again till next October. So that being said, our cable access show was largely unwatchable because of the shaky cam and, and just our inexperience. And we shot on high eight. We shot right. on mini DV and we shot in four by three standard definition. So unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that we have that we did, we were pioneers, but we we're kind of also dinosaurs as things advanced to HD and streaming. We were around before YouTube. So people were like, well, how do you get your stuff out there if you're not in New York? Well, do you remember a, a website called MySpace that we were all on? we had on our profile, we said, look, we've got a show. If you want to see us, let us know. We'll send you a DVD. And I used to send out DVDs, just anyone who wanted it, send it out, no cost. And that was our streaming service. We were Netflix sending out discs before Netflix was Netflix. Right. Oh, that's a, so. I mean, but when you guys were doing those early shows, like, did you still have EMF detectors? Did you have infrared? Like, what kind of stuff were you, were you, were you just, or you just busting into haunted places and being like, let's turn on the night vision and see what happens? In the beginning, it was very old school. We had, we didn't have any EMF detectors. We didn't have audio yet. It took us a couple of years. And, and this is where I will give credit to Ghost Hunters and the like in 2004 when the TV shows started really saturating the airwaves, it gave us another example of, oh, all right, look what they're doing. Okay, that's interesting. Let's try that. And we didn't know what an EVP was until then. And actually looking back at some of the older footage, we actually found some EVPs on the camera that we didn't realize we had. So I always like to tell people reevaluation is important. If you feel in the moment you didn't get anything, maybe you did. Go let some time pass and go back. On the flip side, too, you always hear people go, "Oh, it was an amazing night. We got eighty EVPs." Did you uh, let some time <laughs> right. go by and revisit that and see and reevaluate what you think you've got? But back then, our tools were our cameras, our senses, sometimes baby powder, sometimes toy cars. Uh, trigger objects to try to get spirit interactions and especially myself because I was the skeptic 
I wasn't necessarily concerned about communicating with spirit because I didn't believe spirit existed. So what do I, what do I need to gear up for to find what? And as you watch the episodes, you'll see the evolution of all of us, uh, everybody that was involved in it. And it's interesting to watch. And it's weird now because in this age of YouTube and streaming, you can find some of our episodes on YouTube and you watch it. And sometimes the episodes contradict each other. Sometimes they contradict what I say now, but because people are just discovering it now, they don't understand about how much time has passed and how we've grown. And then there's the people who are like, oh, you're just trying to imitate Zach. It's like, no, Zach's imitating me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Zach was years after you guys. And we will put a link to some of the scared episodes because you can see in the video section of your, of your site, neverstopsearching.com. We'll have a link to some of those scared episodes and you guys can check those out if you're interested. That'll be at the show notes, othersidepodcast.com slash 243. We'll have the link where you guys can see young Brian in action <laughs> at the turn of the millennium where we were all rocking goatees and wearing silver shirts. Well, I was unfortunately doing that. But like you were saying, the evolution of what happens when it comes to, you know, 15, 16 years, uh, you know, you're going to say things in 2004 that you don't necessarily believe in, you know, in 2019. And it's funny, you mentioned uh, the rocking certain shirts. I, I never rocked a silver shirt, but I akin it to the success of, of a rock band. Um, I think uh, like Genesis comes to mind. You see in like some of their concerts in the seventies and early eighties, they show up to a concert just wearing jeans and a t-shirt. It's almost like, did you look at a mirror before you got on stage? And then they get older <laughs> right. and they're wearing suits and they look good and their hair is done. And in those early days, I look back and I'm like, what am I wearing? Why am I wearing that? Didn't I realize I was going to be on camera? <laughs> right. You're not even thinking about not it. Not even thinking about it. No, you're just like, this is, you're, you're excited to be on camera. You're excited to explore places, you know? And w when you guys were just doing a public access show, was it hard to get into places? I mean, because you're like, hey, we're here, because this is before Ghost Hunters, but a lot of different places didn't want a, anything, you know, associated with hauntings and stuff like that before they realized there was haunted tourism. Did you get a lot of attitude when you were trying to find different places to go to? Not really, because those first few places we went to were abandoned. And here in Staten Island, there was a lot of abandoned places, a lot of mental hospitals and, and hospitals and rest homes that just nature you know, were abandoned and nature reclaimed. So we just would try to investigate the claims about what was heard there? Oh, there's ghost stories, or somebody disappeared there, or there's reports of satanic activity. And we would go in with cameras, and whenever there was a security issue, they recognized that, all right, here's a bunch of guys, they've got cameras, they're not trying to wreck the place, graffiti the place, drink. Okay, uh, we'll leave them alone, or just, all right, guys, be careful, watch yourselves. Uh, there wasn't really an issue these days, it's a completely different ballgame. And with the advent of all the shows, a lot of people want to do that. And back in the early days, a lot of it, I always tell people that we were more urban explorers than paranormal investigators, because to say we were investigators was almost giving ourselves too much credit. <laughs> right. Right. Because you're just learning how to investigate and, you know, going through the process because that that's what it is. Like, you know, it's hard to say you ever know what you're doing, but the thing is you keep trying it every, every time it gets a little easier and get, you know, things get a little smoother and over, t you know, you, you develop the process as you do. It's hard to have a, you know, a fully formed process before you walk in the door when everything always falls apart the minute you walk in the door. Oh, we definitely didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we, we, it was complete trial and error. And I think there's some value to that. I mean, if you were to find, first of all, and then line up all the episodes of Scared on Staten Island and then Scared and then our documentaries afterwards, you will see the raw nature in the beginning and you will see how we've all grown and made mistakes. And that's one of the big things that I like to do on the road and especially with my method events. I made the mistakes. I know what I did wrong. If I can help people skip those early mistakes, like the acronym of your team doesn't matter. Your black t-shirt doesn't <laughs> matter. You know, we, we 
we were swept up in that early hoopla. So of course we got caught up in it. Right. And every like every paranormal group website had the same font, like the same, like looked like it was, you know, kind of graffiti or almost horror movie font. And it was usually some kind of lime green, like Slimer from <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters. And they would have like, you know, dots with the acronym and it would be like, whatever, Southeast Wisconsin ghost chasers, you know, kind of thing. Well, I'm glad uh, I'm glad they've they've changed because everything back then used to be paranormal society but because of tax. Oh. So everything was blah, 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 paranormal society. It's like, okay, do you know what a society is? All right, just checking. <laughs> right. So when you finally got to, let's say, a you know a higher scale program where, you know, you're talking about professional crews and, and things like that, did like the approach when you first guys got into Haunted Collector, how much were you able to bring from your scared documentaries and scared series of your experience when it comes to the actual investigation part of and and going through I mean how much did you get to make decisions on that and how much were decisions made by the producers well I think with Haunted Collector because it was John Zaffis's show the man had so much experience investigation was was a breeze it was very easy because the man's a magnet for activity so we were able to get to the bottom of things fairly quickly as for my experience because I had done my own show and produced it and edited it and ran it to DVD and I knew all the back end parts to it, I was more versed in television production. So that first season, when the director's asking John to say something a second time or a third time, he would get annoyed and say, well, why, why do I have to say this again? I said it already. What's going on here? Come on, let's just get to it. And I'm like, John, you know, they need it for coverage just in case. It, you know, it, this is for the editors. And that part I got very well. I understood about staying open to the camera, about projecting. And it was just really second nature to me because I could investigate and still have my wits about me and not worry about the camera because I was already naturally adjusted to it from having worked on scared. So I think it was a, a good uh, learning experience for me, Haunted Collector, as far as getting a goal in mind because scared never, uh, never always had an ending or a result. It was pretty much just a, a straight documentary. Here's our time. Here's what had or didn't happen to us at this right. time. You make up your own mind. Whereas Haunted Collector is, okay, there's a family or a business that needs help. And if you guys can't help them, there are stakes. They'll have to move or they'll have to close. And the pressure was on. And although we didn't always get it right, I, I think our batting average is pretty high. Was there any one case in particular that you feel kind of stung if it didn't work or you you know you felt like you couldn't help the people? I think each case because it was personal, because every case had a face. Eddie, every case had someone who we all met and shook hands with and we could see the concern or the tears in their eyes that, you know, hey, I'm at my wits end, John, I hope you can help. All of it we took very seriously and it was always very personal if we found we couldn't help. And when we would leave a town with an item in tow, we would hope, okay, hopefully this, this makes things better. And more often than not, it did. Sometimes we would check in months later and say, Hey, how's it going? Does have things died down? Oh no, it's gotten worse. And John would then reach out either himself personally, or he would reach out to other local groups to see if they couldn't help in his stead. Oh, that's, that's nice. So you didn't, it wasn't just like, all right, hey, thanks for the footage. We got to roll. See, that's the difference between television investigating and actual investigators. And because John has a reputation and the whole team, we existed before the show, we knew that, all right, we're dealing with real people and the stakes go beyond cut. You know, it's... It's a, a real thing. And this carries through to, to everybody who may be listening to this. If you're in a group, if you're new, if you're just starting out, remember that when you go into someone's house, this is not just a fun weekend for you. This is not an amusement park for you to get your kicks and, hey, we got an EVP or, oh, come out, ghost, and antagonize. These are people's lives, and we have to be very delicate with them as if they were our own in how we deal with 
the supernatural? Well, you know, I like a little bit of advice for investigators uh, because I know that we have a lot of paranormal investigators that listen to the show and you have a whole presentation that you do about paranormal investigation and, uh, you know, sharing your experience um, in doing the, you know, in the past couple decades that you've been working on it. And it, it's called The Method. And I know you're going to be doing it at the Old Baraboo Inn, everybody uh, in Wisconsin. It's going to be April 27th at the Old Baraboo Inn. You would know it because you've heard it on the podcast before. We've done several live shows there with music and haunted ghost investigations. And you're going to have a chance to actually investigate with Brian at OBI on April 27th. And he's going to be talking about his method paranormal investigative technique. So I just want to get a little bit of the philosophy behind it, maybe a little preview for people who are interested in coming. Can you distill some of your philosophy behind your paranormal investigation method in the like you talk about in the presentations? I got to tell you, I cannot wait to get out to OBI. I've heard so much about it. I'm really looking forward to going. And for those of you listening in the Wisconsin or adjacent area, definitely try to come out, come see me, come hang out. And it's it's their 20th anniversary. So there's going to be a party. We're going to have fun, but we're also going to get down to some brass tacks of investigation. And that's what my method events are about. When I do events, there's different categories. There's sometimes I do method events and those are designed to be training events. And as I said before, I've made tons of mistakes. I can recognize what's important and what's not. And when you're an investigator, you have to take more than just what you see on TV. There's elements of psychology. There's elements of sociology, theology, plenty of ologies. But (laughs) you have to handle things methodically. And although it's not always the quote-unquote scientific method because it's not repeatable or within a laboratory setting, you have to apply certain disciplines because, again, it is not an amusement park ride that you're just fumbling through. If you're truly going to do research and you're truly either going to help a family or a business or someone, you have to approach it as professionally as possible. And that doesn't mean hand them a business card, give them the website. It's, all right, how are you going to grow as an investigator? All right, here's some tips. So at events, I'll take it pretty much step by step and talk about the pre-investigation, what goes into an interview. Then when you get there, all right, you've got to do your baseline sweep. You've got to check for every single thing that could be causing. You're looking for those logical explanations. I like that. What Real quick, you just said the baseline sweep because I feel that's something that a lot of people forget about. That, you know, it's like you need to know like where you're at uh, or the house is at before anything weird happens so that when a spike does occur, you know how different is. Or if you can say like, okay, if we take the baseline every couple of hours, then you can know that there's a spike, you know, that certain things happen every two hours or things like that. You can look for stuff that can be explained outside of the supernatural, you know, with just a little effort. And then it makes the evidence when you do finally get something all that much more real. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes it could seem like boring bookkeeping and and and, and stark numbers, but it's very important. And when it comes to the paranormal, the more data you have, the better. And this seems counterintuitive, but personally, I tend to like to work as a psychic would in that I don't want any information about the site. Maybe about the land, maybe about certain things about it, but don't tell me about any of the spirits. Don't tell me about any of the personalities. Don't tell me how there's a ghost named Bob. He hangs out in the corner and he likes you so much because you're blonde and this and that. No, don't want to know it because you know what? That's your experience. And to think that everyone who comes through must have that experience or else uh, it, it, it won't work. And that's that's... Unfortunately, sometimes the problem with TV shows, uh, and no one in, in particular, just all of them, Sure, you go to a location or if I'm at a, at a convention or I'm at a location, the people will go, oh, oh, this is the room where that person had this experience. And if they don't have that same experience, they feel like, oh, we didn't do it right. 
we're missing out on something. It's like, no, every experience is different. And that's what's wonderful about the paranormal. You can have your own experience and it's valid because it happened to you and it might be unique. No one else may ever have the same occurrence, but as long as you did things the right way, you checked off all the boxes, eliminated the improbable, then as the adage goes, whatever remains, however uh, unlikely, must be the truth. So when it comes to OBI, I want to go in as fresh as I can. Uh, They have a a long history. There's a lot going on there, but I want to see what I find. I want to have the Brian experience, not the uh, owner experience or the local experience. And for everyone who comes to the event, you guys will have your own experiences and it'll be unique to that time. So uh, I say, come share it with me. That's a cool thing what you said right there. And, you know, I'm usually of two minds when it comes to investigation in that way of like, I like, I like doing the research. I like having an idea of what the place is about. Last time we did a, you know, an asylum with some ghost stories that was about to close down. Like I went in, I got the, you know, the, the maps that we could find from the, from the, you know, the county (laughs) board and you found all the history and you went back. I watched like two hour long presentations that the local historical society did and they put it on YouTube, but the sound was horrible. So I had to, I put it into my music program to process it so I could hear the damn thing. But the idea though, that you go into a place completely Fresh, because so I won't tell you about my experiences at OBI or my sister's experiences at the OBI or the, 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 the some of the things that we've seen there uh, or had experience. Which um, you know, I was a little I was skeptical at first. I mean, I'm always skeptical, but then when something happens, you're like, oh, all right, you got me. But that idea of going in fresh. And let me give you a, a, an example of that real quick. Uh, we went to a place in Tennessee called the Old South Pittsburgh Hospital. Mm-hmm, I know it. Yeah, and it, it, like just a big hospital, like half of it's run down, scary. And we had a really good time there and interviewed all the people that worked there. And they were telling us about a certain place on the third floor where people see shadows down this hallway. They always see shadow people. So we're like, oh man, we got to set up there. We set up there. Uh, we played some music like live with guitar and violin to try to see if we could trigger anything like that and see what happens. Sat there in the dark for, you know, 45 minutes with the infrared camera on and nothing. And the thing is, we didn't see anything down that hallway, but we also weren't letting ourselves to be open to other things. That idea that, okay, other people have seen shadow people down this hallway on a fairly regular basis. We should be able to see that too. And if we don't see that, we'll be disappointed. Instead of saying, okay, we're here in a new space. We can trigger, we can look for EVPs, we can do you know infrared and thermal camera stuff, we can walk around, ask questions, use trigger objects, all that kind of stuff. Instead, we were just focused on how can we get those shadow people in the background? Wouldn't it be sweet if we got one running across the camera behind our band? Like that would be <laughs> that'd be the coolest music video ever. And uh, you know, when I think about that now, that idea of going in fresh, it's almost it's almost better to go in fresh, see something happen to you. And then if you do research afterwards, you see if anything matches up. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where um, as time has gone by, I believe less and less in fixed hauntings. And I know it's that's going to be unpopular with haunted locations who need <laughs> to attach their livelihood to the fact that you could come and visit those spirits. But Right, not the OBI. We're talking about places besides Oh, that. yes, everyone. Everyone else. The paranormal is 24-7, 365. It's everywhere all at once. You know, Your house can be haunted. My apartment can be haunted. As long as you reach out and make contact, spirit doesn't have to worry about the logistics of the physical space like we do. If I were to come hang out with you right now, I'd have to get in the car, go to the airport, hop on a plane, all that. But spirit, in a snap, in an instance, it's summoned. Like We don't have to, literally, we don't have to go to the Lizzie Borden house to talk to Andrew Borden or Lizzie Borden should they want to make contact. We could do it from the, the space of our own homes. That being said, there are certain locations that resonate with certain energy and some spirits choose by free will to frequent and inhabit. And when it comes to residual hauntings, well, there's no choice there and you're not going to interact with it anyway. So I feel like to try to find the ghost named Bob standing in the corner. Okay. That's great. If you do that, you're 
probably going to spend the entire night trying to recreate that one instance. And meanwhile, you're going to miss all the other activity that's happening around you and behind you and on other floors because you're, you're, you've almost got blinders on searching for that uh, one reported thing, almost to validate yourself. I think that, you know, like you said, I'd rather go in fresh, have my own experience, and then say, all right, well, you know what? Uh, we were investigating and I was in the corner and, and we got an EVP that says, Bob, okay, hey, if our experiences line up, now it's time to compare notes. But I always try to avoid bias by going in fresh and not knowing too much because you know it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you and you see it on 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 all the shows, you see it. Uh, there was an episode of Paranormal Caught on Camera a couple of weeks ago where there was an investigator. I think he was investigating a, a church or a, an abbey, and supposedly there was a priest in there. He's like, "Oh, is this the priest?" and something came through the box and a door closed like, Oh, it must be the priest. Well, why, why must it be the priest? Just because that's what you were expecting. That's the least scientific thing. Go shoot yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, a point you made there too, when you talk about the self-fulfilling prophecy is that especially when it comes to EVPs, I think that when you're looking for a specific answer, in a lot of cases, you know, sometimes, okay, maybe a voice came out, maybe something, you know, maybe you kind of, maybe that answer showed up. Well, then what was the voice that came out of that tape? Was it the voice of a spirit? Was it the voice of something from the other side? Or was it, this is still, you know, paranormal, but was, or was it the voice of everybody in the room thinking the same word at once? Well, I'm glad you said that because one of the experiments I've been doing for many years, I call the psychic projection experiment. And the theory behind this is almost how you led up to, to this, how you set this up in that when you do an EVP session, more often than not, there's a narrow set of parameters of answers that you're looking for. So think of some of the questions that are asked. What year do you think it is? How many of you are there? How old are you? You know, How did you die? Most of those answers are numerical. So when you're listening back to the tape, your ear, your brain will naturally be listening for numbers. So any any sound you hear, you'll be like, oh, it's a two. Oh, it's, it's, it's an 1840. You're going to be listening for that. And even though that might not what be said, you're going to try to make it fit that box. So I reverse engineered that and I said, hmm, where are the EVPs coming from? What's the source? Now, in in a room, we can hear each other because I'm taking oxygen. It's coming from my lungs, going up through the diaphragm, mm-hmm. up past the teeth and tongue, making a vibration uh, of air that, that will travel. The vibration will travel to your ear where your brain will then process it as language that you understand. Now, that's a lot of work, a lot of steps for something as simple as communication. Now, spirit is is is, is doesn't have a physical body or anything of like that that we're aware of. Right. So, how does it communicate? Well, one of the theories is that it's a psychic communication. It's a it's a just a instantaneous, spontaneous transfer of energy. All right. So, if it is psychic, then it's entirely possible that the answers we're listening for are coming from us. So in every event I do, everywhere I go to gather more data, I do this experiment where I have everybody gather and I say, okay, psychic projection experiment. We're going to think of a word. Somebody give me a word. Someone will give me a word. And I'll say, okay, guys, for the next 60 seconds, I'm going to record. Think of nothing else but this word. No tagging, no nothing. Just sit, concentrate on the word, envision it, envision the letters, envision what the the picture of it is. Focus and imagine it going from your brain to my recorder and go. And at this point, I think I've gotten it to work between 15 and 20 times. I've been doing this experiment for almost a decade now. That is not a very high batting average, but the fact that it's worked at all shows there's some merit to this uh, 
method of thinking. Well, that's the whole, it's the whole thing. It's got to be against chance, right? Like, so the idea is that if it, if it happens more than it would happen by chance, so that's the whole reason that, you know, the, the Gonsfeld procedure in ESP, you know, but the, the people put the ping pong balls of their eyes and they go into a sensory deprivation chamber. It's not that people are getting that psychic communication every single time. It's that they're getting that communication way more times than statistics would allow for. Right. And someone even asked, they, and again, trying to shove things into boxes is they said, well, maybe the ghost is hearing your thoughts and then repeating it. And I said, "That's why. Why would that happen?" I said, "All right, let's let's take Occam's razor into account. The simplest answer is probably the correct one. So don't add another step into this. Like, I know you want to believe it's a spirit, but if it's not, it's not, and you have to follow the evidence. And sometimes the evidence means there's nothing here, and that's okay. I like that uh, that philosophy too. Well, I mean, you call it so on your site. Uh, you call it paralosophy." P-A-R-A-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y. And what was the inspiration behind the name Paralosophy? <laughs> Paralosophy. I I wanted something that was mine. So I, I playfully hashtagged it, hashtag Paralosophy. And it's a mashup of paranormal and philosophy. And so many people are concerned about how. How do we do this? How do we make this work? How do we get to this? And I say... The, the better question, the more poignant question is why? Why? Why do things happen the way they do? Why do we use the equipment we use? By asking why and questioning our methods, we can almost take a step back and say, all right, well, for instance, EMF. We all run around with EMF detectors. Why? Because Zach used it? No. Okay, why do we use them? All right, well, the, the, the answer would be the current theory is that spirits either give off EM or that they disturb the EM field as they pass through it. All right, that's fine. Do we have any numbers? What, what, at what point, at what numerical value indicates a haunting? Well, we don't have that. So right. maybe we're using the wrong scale. Maybe EMF is not the way to go. Uh, things like the psychic projection experiment, maybe it's coming from us. So I like people to ask the question why before they run off and, 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 and worry about the house because the why is a bigger and more poignant question. And in general, for the paranormal field, I want people to think more and do less. We're not, we're not going to solve this mystery this weekend. You know, it's, it's, it's been with us <laughs> right. for the entirety of our civilization. We're, we're, we're chipping away at it, but there's time. It, it, it's it's fine and i uh, actually i stole that from carpentry uh think more do less it was just actually measure twice cut once so oh yeah it's yeah no i've i've that same kind of thing i and i am always the one who does not measure even once usually <laughs> i'm like yeah that looks close enough and that's why none of the furniture in my house uh stays up for more than a few that's days. why you've got three fingers so <laughs> <laughs> that too that too but, you know, the idea that part of science is testing a hypothesis. Yes. And I think we're going back to that in a little bit. Over, we're trying to, and, and I like what you're talking about here, because it's not as much about trying to prove your hypothesis as it is following the evidence of where it leads. Because especially in a situation like paranormal investigation, our hypothesis is that if that, that we'll see something. The, the, the only hypothesis is that we'll see something extraordinary or hear something extraordinary that we can't explain through normal terrestrial means. Like, I think that's the best we can get for the hypothesis. Saying that it's going to be Bob, as you were referring to before, or saying that it's going to be, you know, the, the murder victim in this particular place, you know, that's stretching it. Like, you're stretching the hypothesis now beyond just we're saying that extraordinary things can happen. We can't explain. It's Bob. And that's what we're trying to. So we're trying to, instead of, um, we're, you know, we're moving already to a conclusion before we've improved the initial hypothesis. So I love the idea that let's go in there, try some things and follow the evidence and see where that leads instead of trying to confirm something that we think is going to happen in the first place. Well, there's, there's three words that I think people should use more often that I find they're scared to. It's I love you. No. Um, <laughs> it's All the right. words I don't know. It's okay to not know. Like you don't have to leave every location with uh, a confirmation. Like you said, there doesn't need to be a conclusion. It can be ongoing. Things can happen, and you can say, "I don't know what happened." I don't know. 
well, is there going to be, is it going to happen again? Is there going to be more of it? I don't know. I would rather an honest, I don't know than a BS. Well, it seems like there was a Indian burial ground here and the, the, the light from Venus refracting off swamp. Like, yeah, no, if you're going to, if you're going to have to fumble through an explanation to build up yourself, then, you know, you're doing a disservice to them and yourself. I would rather the, you know what? I don't know, but we're going to look into this more. We're going to research more. We're going to, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And even if you don't get to the bottom of it, that's okay too. I mean, think of this from a, from a legal standpoint, Uh, you know, police solving murders and solving crimes and uh, going to court and reasonable doubt. The same thing applies. If the evidence you captured, you know, maybe an EMF spike, maybe a, a fuzzy EVP, if there's enough doubt to say, hmm, maybe this isn't Bob, then you must acquit. All right. And right. what's the truth? <laughs> As investigators, a good investigator is not looking for ghosts. A good investigator looks for truth. And that truth sometimes means, all right, something, th- there's nothing here, or maybe there's nothing here at the moment. And that too is okay. Well, I, you know, I think a lot of the reason that people are afraid to say, I don't know, is that they're afraid. You know, when, when something happens to you or, you know, you're in the house um, and, and weird things are happening in the house and you got your family there uh, and your kids, you might get that feeling of, you know, I can protect my family against robbers if I have a security system or a shotgun or something. <laughs> and I can, I, can, I can protect my family against bad weather if we have a good basement in case there's a tornado or a horrible storm, things like that. And you think of the terrestrial things you can protect your family with. But when it comes to things that are, uh, you know, the wonders of the invisible world out there, you don't know how to protect your family from it. So I think I think a lot of people sometimes are afraid to say, I don't know, just because they're scared of what that implies. They're powerless against it. That makes sense. And uh, I mean, it, 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 it's one of the things that unfortunately as human beings on this planet, we we have to know that we can't control everything and not everything is under our, our scope. So the best way to conquer fear is to acknowledge it. You don't necessarily have to run from it, but you take away the power of fear by acknowledging, yes, you know what? I'm afraid. I can't, I I don't know what to do with this. And again, it goes back to saying, I don't know. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to protect my family. I don't know how I'm going to proceed from here. And that's at least an honest stand for the moment. Right. Now, have you ever, uh, you know, speaking of that, you know, I was just thinking you've been on a ton of investigations uh, with with different teams. Now you're doing these investigations at different places all over the country. Do you ever still get a little, because when you first do it, it's part of that thrill. Fear has those endorphins fire and everything. And so we're getting a physical response. That's why we love to watch horror movies kind of thing. And a lot of people first experience that when, you know, they go on a fright night ghost hunt kind of thing, or they, they investigate that, uh, that old house that's abandoned, or, um, you know, they, they sneak into the steam tunnels for the first time. And, you know, there's that, that fear and the excitement. Do you ever still feel that, like a little bit of that that twinge of, oh man, I'm I'm in too deep here. Like I shouldn't have come. Not lately, but it's funny you mention steam tunnels. I, it takes me back to a very early time where I was in the steam tunnels underneath Kings Park in Long Island, and I remember I decided to go and just find a tunnel and sit by myself in the dark for a while just to test my own fear. Am I going to run back to the rest of the guys? Am I going to, no, let me just, let me dwell in this feeling. Let me know what it feels like. And I don't often feel like that these days because I I feel like since there's so many people around and so many people with me that unless I'm alone, I feel that it's going to be okay. But I still do get the excitement of uh, of a, a clear EVP. That's that's a roller coaster ride that will never get old. And you know how it is. It's it's you're investigating for hours and nothing's happening and it's boring and it's hot or it's too cold and you're like, oh, I just want to go home or to the hotel. And then you get that EVP or you get that something that happens and ooh, it's all worth it. Well, and that's a great way to end the conversation here today. You know, because that 
ghost investigation is a lot of time spent reviewing footage spent sitting in places that are often uncomfortable (laughs) and it's spent waiting around for something to happen but that almost makes that thrill of when something does happen that you can't explain even more sweet. Well, to add to that just really quickly, that's another reason why I feel like people want to have those common experiences because you know, like we discussed, if it doesn't happen, you feel you did something wrong, but then at the same time, you feel like, okay, I've suffered for nothing. I sat out here in the cold or, oh my God, my back <laughs> right. hurts and nothing happened. At least if something happens, my pain is worth it. Right. No, it's no, it's like running a marathon and like if you don't get anything, it's like running a marathon and, and finishing at mile twenty-five. <laughs> so but the thing is, you guys don't have to finish at mile twenty-five. You can complete your journey by joining Brian at and you know any one of these cool events where he's gonna talk about the method. You're gonna be at Michigan Paracon this year, uh, in Sault Ste. Marie, looks like, and then we'll have a chance to meet then. I'm looking forward to awesome. that. And anybody uh, around here that's listening in Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota, not too far away, it's getting up to, it's a perfect time uh, to come up at springtime to visit uh, Baraboo, the area near the Wisconsin Dells, and check out this very cool event on April 27th at the Old Baraboo Inn, OBI. And uh, you can hang out with Brian Cannell. He's going to do a full method workshop, and then they can do an investigation of the site. And so I've, I've seen some weird things there. My sister's seen some weird things there. Do I know what it is? No. But is it a lot of fun to check out in a very cool, welcoming, inclusive environment? It absolutely is. So we're going to have links to that. You can pick up tickets to that if you want. We're also going to have links to Brian's website and also your Twitter, because I know you do live tweeting along with Paranormal Caught on Camera every week. Where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, you can find me at Brian J. Cano. Awesome. So you can find all that stuff out in the show notes, othersidepodcast.com slash 243. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, Mike, it's pretty cool to hear about someone else who started in public television and ended up on the paranormal track. Yes, that is always fun. And uh, we're looking forward to hosting him in Wisconsin. He's going to be at the OBI, the old Baraboo Inn. Ooh, uh, cool. Yeah, the OBI is always crazy. So make sure you can check out the links to those events at othersidepodcast.com slash 243. Now, I really like Brian's philosophy, his paralosophy as he calls it, his hashtag paralosophy. Um, <laughs> you know, the idea of going into a paranormal investigation with your mind completely open. Blank canvas. Yeah. Just, you know, so you don't have, the, your hypothesis can be something's going to happen. You know, not, it doesn't have to be I'm talking to a spirit. It doesn't have to be I'm talking to an alien or Xenu or whatever. It just has to, like, your hypothesis can be, we're opening ourselves up to the outside world and something happens. And then we're testing that, not necessarily testing. We're talking to a dead guy <laughs> who died in this room yeah. you know, 48 years ago. So you don't have the bias. Right. The thing is that you, you're hearing what you expect to hear. And I think that uh, paranormal TV shows have kind of given us a, a template for paranormal investigation, as well as like a script that we follow when we go out there. Yeah. And his idea of paralosophy of, you know, you know what, let's just go in there, see what happens, and then see if we can find evidence to corroborate that later on, instead of going in there expecting something. Um, I just, I thought it was really interesting. And I I like that idea. And I think that's the inspiration uh, that we're going to take behind this week's song, which you're going to be able to hear on the See You on the Other Side podcast Spotify playlist. And there's a link to that at OthersidePodcast.com. And in the show notes, you'll be able to find a link to our song inspired by the interview with Brian Cano. And that's at OthersidePodcast.com slash 243. Right. And if you are one of our Patreon members, you're going to get a download of that song right away. If you're interested in becoming one of our Patreon members, and if you're listening to the podcast this far in, you probably should be. You can find more information about that at OthersidePodcast.com slash donate. Wendy, what are some of the cool things uh, we do with our Patreon members? Well, Mike, once a month we have a hangout on Skype. We all get together and share our favorite paranormal topics of the month and stories, things that have happened to us personally, things that we want to get involved in, movies we like to watch, movies we've seen, books we've read. 
all the fun stuff that we love talking about. Yes. And we also have a private Facebook group for our Patreon members where we can talk about things, do special Facebook lives, basically have conversations about paranormal topics without the usual kind of BS involved. (laughs) Just (laughs) sticking it out there on Facebook and having like your great aunt come in and be like, I, you know what I think? Ah, you know, immigrants. So that's that's what you can do when we throw that stuff in there in the See You on the Other Side Patreon community, and we'd love for you guys to be a part of it. Now, one of the benefits of being a See You on the Other Side Patreon is uh, you get special shout-outs, like our man, Dr. Ned. Ned! He's at the level of executive producer of See You on the Other Side because he uh, contributes at the level where he gets a shout-out every single episode. Dr. Ned Thank you for your support and your friendship. We appreciate that one bazillion percent. Thank you, Ned. And everybody else, obviously, we love you. And if you guys are not Patreon members yet and interested in joining the See You on the Other Side Patreon community, please visit othersidepodcast.com slash donate, where you can find ways where you can contribute and even in a small way, sure keeps this stuff going. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time. See you on the other side. There's three words that I think people should use more often that I find they're scared to. It's I love you.